Hello then and welcome to Passing the Baton Series 3 and this will be number 33. And the overall title for this year is Living an Intentional Lifestyle. And the subtitle for this one is Rise Up My Love My Fair One and Come Away. And the date is the 30th of January 2010. Let's start with a prayer shall we? Father, thank you for the blood. Thank you that your blood is like acid to my sin. Thank you, Father, that Jesus has made a way where there was no way, a way to come into the holiest of all, to gaze and gaze upon you, to know you, to bless you, to walk with you in intimate communion. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your finished work. It is finished. Sin is dealt with. We are reconciled. Praise your wonderful name. Guide us, Holy Spirit, into all truth, all the truth that you want to impart to us this day. We don't want information. We want revelation, revelatory truth that will change our lives. So we bless you. We thank you. We honour you. Be with us. Move upon us. Take us over. This is your kingdom. This is your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So if you're listening to this on the CD, I ask that you will start with a time of confessing things that God might be speaking to you about. You know, we've spoken many times about keeping short accounts. We do need to cleanse ourselves at the start of a new year. So if God is speaking to you about things, just stop the CD now and do business with him. And before we start, I want to make a statement which will put everything we will be looking at this year into context. We'll go back to this and keep coming back to this to remind ourselves who we are and where God has placed us. We're on a journey into the heart of a God who loves us to distraction. Everything with him is about process. It's about the journey. It's about how we get there. So don't get so hung up on the destination that you forget to enjoy the journey. And the whole teaching will be about encountering God at an ever-deepening level and experiencing him as we've never done before. And to set all this correctly in place you'll need to know who you are and whose you are. Therefore I must emphasize at the start that when intimacy with the Father is broken we don't cease to belong to him. What happens is that our three basic needs, those for security, identity and belonging, have been disturbed. But our Father's covenant love is strong and eternal. Love, it says in the Song of Songs, is as strong as death. What's that mean? You can't change death. Once death has happened, there is nothing that can reverse it. You cannot reverse the covenant love that God has for you. You can't do anything to stop it. Isn't that wonderful? Though Adam and Eve broke covenant with him in the garden, he never ceased to call them back to himself. And the same applies to us. When we choose the things of the world, our salvation is not lost. It's our intimacy, our relationship with him that's lost. And this is what grieves Father's heart. Like the prodigal son, we've done a runner we've run away from home so when the son returned it was his father who saw him from a long way off and ran towards him the son you remember was rehearsing his speech father wasn't bothered about any of that father ran towards him and welcomed him with open arms just as God stands ready to welcome us as we return and as we seek to restore our relationship with him he's there so be at peace be at rest, beloved. The elderly and distinguished father in the story abandoned caution and decorum, lifting up his skirts and running 
down that path to find his boy. And he gave him the robe, which indicates security, and the ring, identity, and the sandals, belonging. He was not restored to being one of his father's slaves as he'd worked out on the way home, but to his father's table. Keep these things in mind as we travel on this road this year. We're going to establish ourselves in three things, security, identity and belonging. Unless we know who we are, everything will seem not only hard but unattainable to us. So beloved, set this jewel of revelation in the context of your identity in the beloved, so that as we walk in unbroken communion with him, we'll discover our truest identity and our destiny and our purpose. Ephesians 1, 5-7 in the New American Standard Bible says this, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I'm going to read a poem. Um, I don't know the author. This little poem came into my hands through a book that was given to me. It was an old book and out of it fell on a single sheet of paper. No author, no idea who it was. Uh, but I give credit to whoever it was now. It was a poem and it was called simply A Son. And it goes like this. This is for you. My child, you are mine. I call you this day into sonship and every day to take up your position in my family. You are my son and in you do I delight. I've set my love upon you. Yes, my plans, my ambitions, my love. Think you that I said to my own beloved son, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. This is true. I said it of him and of every son since. Take up your sonship daily. Daily shall you enter into your place. Did I not say, bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet? Did the son do anything to merit his sonship? Was he a worthy son? Yet I set my love upon him and wooed him to myself. Come then, take your place. The offered garment, even the robe of rejoicing and delight. Take the ring of union with me, and display and delight in it. Let me wash your feet, then take the offered sandals and walk through this day as a king's son. Your feet will become soiled and I have made provision for this, but keep your heart with all diligence. Be a son, ask as a son, give as a son, Reign as a son, rejoice as a son, move freely as a son should. Rejoice even as my heart rejoices in you. The past is forgotten and behind you. The day is yours. Go forth. Bear the radiance of the divine in your countenance. See, I have stripped from you the robe of rags. I've put on you the robe of my righteousness the beautiful garments that shall be the envy of all that see them, even as Joseph's coat aroused in others' envy, so shall others want to know the Lord your God. Rejoice, O oh rejoice in your welcome, in your position, in your forgiveness, in the joy of your Father, in the joy of the angels, for he gives you richly all things to enjoy. Rejoice, and again I say, Rejoice. And now a prophetic word. This is Graham Cook, with whom you're all familiar. And this is actually a prophetic word from something like 1998, but it seems to be 
very pertinent for now. My child, in this next season, I'm going to radically change your perspective. You will begin to understand both the power that is behind you as well as the power that is within you. I will teach you how to stand on the word of your God. Know that as you stand on my word, so at the same moment you stand on the evil one. I've put a sword in your hand and confession and proclamation upon your lips. You are learning to stand in the presence of God and those I send to assist you. Know that you're being watched over and protected. Therefore I say to you, stand up, stand upon, stand against, and you shall prevail. Amen to that. And that word that I've just read to you will be the one we'll be working with in this coming year. We're going to move into a radically new perspective in God and begin to understand the power that is behind us and within us. We will also learn that as we stand on the word of God, we're standing on the evil one. We will practice confession and proclamation and we will learn to position ourselves before God in order that we may prevail. We will stand up, stand upon and stand against. That's our mission statement for 2010. We're on a new level and in a new decade. Many of you have been following this teaching since we began in 2007. If you've been putting it into practice, you'll be ready to develop an intentional lifestyle towards God, which is what we'll be talking about in this coming year. If you've just joined us, welcome aboard. The teachings are available as notes, CDs, downloads from our website www.psalm131.com and they will bring you up to speed. If you have any questions or comments, please use the Contact Us page there and I'll respond to you. I welcome your questions. Feedback is essential in discipling and mentoring, so enjoy as we begin a new year and embark on a lifestyle of being intentional towards God in our responses to the Holy Spirit, working with Him as we learn to run in this season of divine acceleration. I think you could say that today's teaching comes into the category of what the Apostle Paul calls exhortation. It's a wake-up call to us as we stand on the verge of a new decade. The prophets are calling us to hear the warnings they're issuing. It's a time to position ourselves correctly before God for our own safety and for that of others. The church is a lifeboat, as in the days of Noah, but we want more people to get in than he had. If you haven't upgraded or worked on your relationship with God in the last year, promise yourself and him that you will begin to do that this year. If you haven't got a relationship with the Holy Spirit, this is the year to get introduced. If you're not acquainted fully with Jesus as your coming King and Bridegroom, this is the year to rectify that. We cannot live on the right side of the cross if we're not prepared to work with the Holy Spirit. The price is paid. Let's live in what's been won for us. See ourselves as complete in Christ. Own up to who you are and who you're becoming. God has a plan for your life which will lift and expand you in every single area. But you do have to cooperate for it to come to pass. First things first then, what is God currently trying to get you to bring closure on and are you resisting him? He can't take you into the next thing you know until you've made closure on the last. The process is closure, conversion and that's where he gets our minds into alignment with him and commissioning. And when we talk about things needing closure, we're speaking about things like forgiveness, paying money owed, 
giving money where God has asked, fulfilling promises we've made, giving thanks to someone for something or apologies where you know that they're due. This is why we started with a time of confession and cleansing before God this morning. We need a clean sheet to start the year. If as I'm speaking, God's talking to you about things not done, promise him now that you will do it, or them, right away. Procrastination, you know, drains power from your life. Usually it doesn't get any easier the longer we leave things, so bite the bullet now and face whatever it is you haven't done and promise God you will do it like that. People who chronically procrastinate are actually prone to depression because there's a constant awareness that responsibilities haven't been met. The depression in itself causes more things to go undone, which in turn causes more depression. If you develop the habit of running at your giant, your Goliath, whatever it is, instead of running away from it, you'll find yourself developing a victorious mindset rather than a mindset that is constantly overwhelmed by circumstances, people and things. Just a thought. If it applies to you, do take it on board and run at that fear and distraction that stops you dealing with things. As ever, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. So the first question for you today is, what is captivating your heart? Because what captivates your heart is where you will live. So your lifestyle will reflect where your heart is. Is it your bridegroom that's captivating you right now? Is it the kingdom or something or someone else? What is the Isaac that is standing in the way of a hundred percent commitment to your Lord and Saviour? In what direction are you headed? What goal in God are you after this year? Have you thought about it? I don't doubt you've given some thought to other goals such as new car, new job, new house, this year's holiday, you name it. So what about the number one priority? What thought have you consciously given to that? Listen to what Paul says uh, in Philippians 3 verse 12 reading from the message version and it's headed up focused on the goal. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends don't get me wrong, by no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. Paul had a goal. Do you this day or are you just drifting through life? The purpose of this year's teaching is to bring us into an intentional lifestyle towards our bridegroom. To change our perspective in order that we stand in a different place, we pray from a different place and we live from a different place. We become people of the spirit, not people of the flesh, living in the place that Jesus won for us. Looking at situations and circumstances from the top down, not the bottom up. Jesus is summoning his bride to rise up, to come up higher and to live an ascended lifestyle. What do I mean by that? Look at Ephesians 2 verse 6, the NIV this time. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. An ascended lifestyle. That is where we are positionally. And it has to become a lifestyle for us living in the place that Jesus died to give us, seated in the heavenly realms, 
opening the windows of heaven and releasing the blessings of heaven on earth. So, the winter is over and gone. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines for more fruitfulness. Will you respond to his call to rise up, my love, and come away? Song of Solomon 2, verses 8 to 13 in the New American Standard Bible. Listen, my beloved, behold, he's coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he's standing behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one and come along. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers have already appeared in the land, the time has arrived for pruning the vines, and the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. There are rhythms and seasons in God. There's a rhythm to walking with Him. There are seasons in God. We bear fruit and He prunes us for more growth and fruit. And everything is about process and everything is relational with Him. Every single thing you go through has a relational approach and a rhythm to it. And it's part of your journey with Him. When he takes you up to a new level, there's commensurately a whole new level of warfare to encounter and overcome as we walk on into our inheritance. How lucky is that? Our life in the spirit expands by nature because God is never static. He's always creating. The scientists themselves tell us that the universe is expanding and Father always wants us to go on and grow up in Christ. Our journey from the old fallen nature into the new nature in the spirit is always moving. We cannot afford to stand still. God's intention is that we move through the ages and stages of growth from Nepios, a child without speech, through Technion to Paidon and finally to Huios, fully mature sons who are walking in their inheritance. It's the transition from Abba to father, from dada to papa. This year we're going to be looking at living intentionally before God, not just drifting along in our Christian walk headed nowhere. I'll be talking to you about being present future, not present past, so there's a real need to establish where you are right now in order to plot your course for the future and deal with any outstanding issues that may be blocking your progress. So in asking you some questions, the intention is to get you thinking about where you are and what blockages are currently stopping you moving on. So there's no blame, no condemnation, no guilt. This is a new era in God. His eyes are bright upon us to redeem the time. All we need to do is to get to Yes Lord more quickly. So having answered the first questions I put to you, you may need to start dialoguing with the Father, asking questions about your current situation. It's always good to ask questions, and if you don't know what questions to ask, ask the Holy Spirit, and He will tell you. So some good ones for a starter, uh, if you're in a situation or a problem, are things such as this. What does this mean? What should I do? How do I position myself? How do I pray? So let's move on to intimacy or relationship with God. We've got two distinct relationships with God. I don't know whether you ever realize that, but the first is as a much loved 
child, which is why we started with the poem about being a son. The second is our service to him and this is where we sometimes get the emphasis in the wrong place. As human beings we often get more interested in the business side which means we always want to move in our gift to the neglect of our personal relationship with him. Intimacy is always first on the agenda so far as God is concerned. He created Adam for fellowship, for relationship, hasn't changed beloved. And the business side of our relationship with him, which is our prayer life and the way our gifting works, is secondary to that. Gift without relationship is sterile. You will only go so far. You can't fool him. You can't constantly move in your gift and have no relationship. He'll just put the stop on it. Sooner or later he will decrease you in your gifting in order that he might have that relationship, that intimacy with you that he so desires. He always wants to be the one to solve your biggest problem. He's jealous for this. He wants to be the answer to your every need. So we're constantly learning not to put our trust in man but in the person of God himself. And you'll find that directive in Psalm 146 verse 3 and in the NIV it says it like this Do not put your trust in princes in mortal men who cannot save. Bit clear that you know. So as we put our trust in him we're not trusting him for the outcome or the issue to come out the way we want it to come out but we're actually trusting in his faithfulness, his character, his nature, his person. We're not trusting for an event or a situation. We trust him, personal, relational, because he's faithful. And through this whole process then, he's taking us from the bondage of Egypt to freedom in Christ, and from freedom in Christ to our inheritance, just as he did with Israel. So the journey we're on is going from the bondage of slavery to sin right through to our inheritance in Christ. We're all on this journey. We're on a journey as individuals, as families, and as churches. And I think probably the most important thing we all need to grasp on this journey is God's ways with us. Israel never understood and they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. I have seen so many Christians who just un don't understand why life works out like it does. They are either on the point of giving up or they're very close to it because they say they're disillusioned, which simply means they had an illusion in the first place. Idealism, romantic notions about church and people have no place in our thinking. The expectation that Christians are perfect and will always get everything right leads to this disillusionment because we have our eyes on man, not on God, and guess what? He will bring about circumstances to break that dependency, that mindset, and get your eyes on him alone for your safety and security. And it's often very uncomfortable. So don't put your trust in princes, beloved. Jesus came fully as man. He sweated and functioned just like we do. So to make the Christian walk some sort of ethereal experience where everything is perfect is to completely lose out on what God is really, really like and who he wants to be for us in every life situation. It's so important therefore that instead of just being people who go to church we begin to develop a lifestyle mentality and as ever Jesus is our model for this. He went about doing good 
Acts 10.38 again in the New American Standard Bible says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. As he is in this world, so are we. Jesus only ever did what the Father told him to do. John 5 verse 30 in the Amplified says this, Jesus speaking, I am able to do nothing from myself, independently of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God and I get his orders. Even as I hear, I judge. I decide as I am bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision, and my decision and judgment is right, just, righteous. Because I do not seek or consult my own will, I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. Jesus lived in close community with his disciples. Their lives intertwined with one another and he taught them how to live before the Father by being an example. He never did anything of his own desire or initiative but only that which was the will of his Father in heaven. Relationally too, Jesus showed us how we should be with one another. Everything, all our relationships, must ever be subservient to our prime relationship with God. No matter how close people get to each other, they must be closer to God. Again, Jesus is the model. And the paradox is, beloved, the closer we are to God, the more we walk with Him, the more we will love each other as He loves us. The more we put the voice of God prior to our commitment to each other, the more we really respect each other. I think of my, some of my own close relationships and the dynamic that holds us together is that we love God more than we do each other. It's simply putting the first commandment where it properly belongs, first. If I stopped listening to God and turned away from Him, I would expect my friends to warn me and lovingly rebuke me if I didn't come to my senses. No friendship or relationship is worth its salt if it doesn't have an inflexible commitment to God first and to one another second. We're not an island. We desperately need one another in interdependence. We can't do this thing alone. No one can do everything, but everybody can do something. When we each bring our peace, we find the whole, but if you withhold your peace, everyone loses out. If you take a look at Paul's writings, you'll see that the overall thrust is that of putting on Christ first, and then he addresses our relationships in fellowship with each other. He tells us how to prefer one another, how to love one another, and he describes a lifestyle of love and mutual respect. So the change that is fast coming upon the church in this land is from being remote, going to church once or twice a week, to being part of a community of believers, living as a community of believers, sharing joys and heartaches, a bunch of people who love Jesus first and out of that love and obedience to him, love each other and care for one another and look out for the welfare of others. That's true accountability in action, you know. And that, beloved, is the church. Out of our love relationship with Jesus, everything flows. So we're on a journey into something new as a body of believers. We must elevate the church as a body, not a building, to the position that God intended. It's an organism, not an organisation. 
and it's not primarily about signs, wonders and miracle, as miracles as exciting as all these are. These are there that others might believe. And it's not about our gifting, whether we're allowed to use it or not. It's not about whether we speak in tongues or not. It's about living the Christ life. And we have the technology. We have the maker's instructions. We have the maker living inside us. Because the kingdom, well, it's within you. He hasn't made it difficult, beloved. How we live kingdom lives is more important than church. And we need to develop a bright and radiant idea of God himself that we pass on to those around us so that we can say when we're asked, God isn't like that, he's like this and tell them how marvellous he is, because we know him. Jesus didn't come preaching the gospel of the fellowship or the church, but the gospel of the kingdom of God. His reign and rule and lordship over and in our lives. And the next piece of information you will not want to hear, and that is that tests and trials are necessary for our growth. And change, well, change is here to stay because we're meant to be coming into fullness and abundance, not living in measure or a poverty mindset. We're meant to be going from babies, nepios, to huios, fully mature sons. We're on a journey into the heart of God. It's not static, it's constantly moving. There's a process going on here. And if you've come into Christianity and you're still in the same place as you were when you walked in the door, beloved, there is so much stretching before you. So much. I took the time to look up the word abundant in the Greek and it is perissos, P-E-R-I-S-S-O-S, which means superabundant in quantity or superior in quality. Excessive, advantage, exceedingly, very highly, and beyond, out of all measure. How about that then? And that is what Jesus promised us in John 10.10. 10. I came that they may have life and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That is John 10.10 10 in the Amplified. So when God looks at you, he can't see you anything other than full. Because you're in his son. He's a God of fullness, not measure. He's not content with measure or mediocrity. He thinks of you in terms of fullness and abundance all the time. That's the good news. The not so good news, depending on how you look at it, is that if you are going to walk with God in the high places of fullness and abundance, you need the circumstances you are in. Your present circumstances are absolutely necessary for your growth, your identity, your faith, your warfare for who you are in Christ. So we must move from crying out for deliverance from the situation we're in to understanding and embracing it as a growth opportunity. The Lord wants to teach you a way of being so that the enemy abandons his hold on your inner territory. But you need to be aware that you'll have to keep that territory once it's won. It's one thing to get free, totally different thing to stay free. Always two battles in this, one to get free, the second to stay free. It's no good establishing a bridgehead if you can't hold it. This is where your intentionality towards God should be activated. Every bit of ground you gain will be contested by the enemy. That's his job. He's there to make you stronger and to teach you to fight. 
Isn't that just brilliant of God? The enemy thinks he's making your life a misery and God says, no, sweetheart, I'm using him to toughen you up. Isn't that brilliant? Heads we win, tails we win. And what about 1 Corinthians 10, 11 in the New King James Version? Talking of Israel here. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're all on that same journey out of Egypt as the Israelites and as this scripture tells us all things that happened to them were written as examples for us. Once they'd been delivered from bondage they still had to learn to fight so the Lord lovingly took them round the wilderness that they might learn. If he'd taken them straight into Canaan they would have been decimated because they were incapable of fighting. They were slaves. They'd been in bondage. They had no idea about warfare or taking territory and holding it. And eventually God in his kindness took them home rather than actually lose them to the enemy because it was time they went into the promised land and over 40 years they just didn't catch on to what he was doing or what he was teaching them. So they didn't go in. They didn't know his ways, only his works. It's said of Moses that he knew God's ways. Israel failed to enter in because they grumbled and complained about their lot and never saw the inheritance, the growth opportunity that God was holding out to them. Beloved, they didn't understand process. When Joshua eventually led them into the promised land, there were a bunch of raw recruits, young men who'd never seen battle, but they were learning how to war where the older generation had failed. And the first thing Joshua did as he took them in was to remind them of the blood covenant. God had them be circumcised. That's quite an amazing thing to do when you just entered the promised land you're rendered powerless because God wanted to remind them who they were going in with. So everything you experience can be turned to profit. Don't get much better news than that. Right now there is something he wants to give you and he is so excited about it, beloved. He wants to bring you to the place of commissioning and authority in order that you can keep what he gives you. Not only gain your territory but keep it, hold it and move on. But don't go looking for direction before you look for relationship. God is interested in your journey together. He is interested in a relationship. He is interested in your knowing just how much he loves you personally. Yes, I mean you personally. Not the other fellow, you. And he isn't going to talk to you about direction until you've got this, beloved. All of your life in the spirit is relational. When he's established you as a much-loved child, he'll speak to you about your destination, maybe. So it isn't about your ministry. It isn't about your vision. It isn't about what you may have seen for the future. It isn't even primarily about your dream. It's about you and him in bridal partnership. And we're on this journey from being in slavery to sin to being children of God and then to becoming mature sons in the spirit. And so every situation and circumstance in and around our lives are designed by God to push us into a deeper relationship with him, his son and the Holy Spirit. Everything but everything is about coming into our inheritance. 
It is our inheritance to regain our own inner territory from the land of its captivity. Everything we do that is Christ-like is an act of warfare. Every kind thought is an act of warfare. Every act of kindness is an act of warfare. Every act of love is an act of warfare. Unfortunately, like the Israelites in Egypt, we become happy in our captivity, little realizing there is another way to live. Because making the choice to go into the promised land will mean a clash of kingdoms and few of us are willing to make that decision, that choice to fight, even though we are promised victory. Everything is yes and amen in Christ. Soul versus spirit, the eternal battle, started in the garden where Adam and Eve were tempted or tested to trust their own abilities rather than God. When we live in our natural man, we're looking to our own abilities to solve problems. When we live in our spirit man, we do our best to the point of excellence and then we're launched into the limitless possibilities of God. We do our best and God does the rest. We can't be passive in this. There's a part for us to play. And that part, beloved, is headed up choices. Over the course of the last three years, we've been looking at walking with God about warfare, obedience and making choices, about living in our spirit and not our soul, and how important all this is in order that we may come into everything that God has for us. The purpose of all this is that we might know him, walk with him and be effective in the kingdom. That we might live in the place that Jesus died to give us, seated in heavenly places in him, and that this might become a reality and a lifestyle to us. That he might see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. One thing is sought between heaven and earth, and that is to behold the Lord and live in his presence. Everything depends on prior engagement of your heart. In these days, nothing will work that's not of him. John 15:5 says, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of eternal value can you produce without him. Therefore, he must increase, we must decrease. Finding out the eternal purposes of God for your life will lead you on. It will motivate you to walk consistently. So let the Lord show you your inheritance. Let him lead you step by step into bridal partnership. In times past we've asked him to bless our efforts and he has. He's walked with us but now in this season he's calling us to walk and work with him in bridal affection and partnership. Nothing but nothing will work that he doesn't initiate. He will reveal himself to you and out of that will come the function and the call on your life. So there are several things you'll need to determine in your heart. And the first is that you will need to live purposefully. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 in the Amplified says this, Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. Live purposefully. That is going to mean intentional decisions. 
intentional choices. In what's coming, beloved, lukewarm, apathetic people will be lunch for the devil. We need to be doing something that has value. If you're married, raising your children can be your destiny. Pray that those your seed will fulfill their destiny. Ask the Lord for a strategy and determine to become the best Christian there ever was. Or maybe even the most peaceful person on the planet. Determine to do everything to the absolute max of your ability. Aim for excellence. If you fall short, at least you will have done a very good job. And the next thing is to grasp what the will of the Lord is. You need to have a goal and a purpose every day. You need to be motivated. Commit your works to the Lord. Proverbs 16.3 tells us this. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. How many of us need this? To get our thoughts established. Don't just muddle through. I'll be glad when this is over. Yeah, well, be glad now. Make a decision. Don't muddle through the day. Don't waste your life. Ask God for a personal development plan. We should all have one of these. If you know you have a specific call on your life, train yourself up to be ready for the time when release into that calling comes. Seek Him. Ask Him, how do I position myself? How do I pray? What should I be asking? Don't waste time waiting for it to come up and hit you. It never will. It's not the way that prophecies come to pass. You have your part to play. And most importantly, beloved, if what you are doing does not minister peace to you, do not do it. Don't be what people expect you to be and don't do what they expect you to do. Follow your peace. Let your peace be your umpire. Next one for some of us is not quite so easy. Turn your head off. Judge by your heart, not your head. Turn your head off and see what's in your heart. What God wants to do may make no sense to your head. Don't try to be like someone else. When you're in the ebb or being pruned, you remember the seasons in God? There's an ebb and a flow to the tide and there is a, a fruitfulness and a pruning with vegetation and fruits and apples and things. So when you're in the ebb, when you're being pruned, something is being dealt with. Learn to stop asking questions at this time and walk with God and cooperate with him. Because this is what the Holy Spirit loves to do. It's the part of his job he loves most, teaching you to walk with him. And for the most part, the pressure that you're under is not the devil, it's God. So don't keep rebuking because you're trying to rebuke God. And then the next thing is, uh, and the last, decide. Make a decision. You are hearing from God. Make that decision that you do hear, you are here hearing and do whatever it is he's asking you to do. He'll put it right if you get it wrong. But failure to move may mean failure to fulfill your destiny. Try and won't cut it. Believing is what is needed. It is his responsibility to speak to you, not your responsibility to hear. He will make sure you hear, believe me. He is more than capable of ensuring that you hear what he says to you. Obedience is our big one. We hear all right, but we don't actually want to do what he says. So you listen. He can make himself heard. Seek him diligently. He will be found of you. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that. Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Always good stuff in here, you see. You diligently seek him and what do you get out of that? A reward. So, glory to glory then and living an ascended lifestyle. This is our time, beloved. 
to practice life in another dimension, to connect with God and engage our hearts at a whole new level. It's time to take advantage of the offer he's holding out to us, that there is no limitation in heaven and for us to discover that the law of life in Christ Jesus has indeed possibilities which are limitless. It's time to stop taking sides against his majesty. It's time to bow to it. God is unceasingly magnificent. Apparently the Lord said to Graham Cook, what would it take for you to believe that I'm unceasingly magnificent? And one of the things Graham said to him was a new brain. <laughs> I think I could go along with that, a new brain to take it in that God is unceasingly magnificent. Everything he touches becomes glorious. So Paul can say with confidence, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, image, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And Ephesians 2, 6, just to remind you, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's our time to practice life in another dimension. God is impressing on us and He won't rest, beloved, until we've got it that we are the beloved of God. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We have the opportunity to live an ascended lifestyle and we are being changed from glory to glory. He's wooing us to the intent that we might believe this and become as intentional towards him as he is towards us. His desire is to bring us to the place where we live as the beloved of God and respond to him as the beloved of God and relate to him in terms of romance so that we are heartfelt, sincere and genuine not headstrong, willful, obstinate, obstinate and obtuse or slow of heart to understand and perceive didn't Jesus say that to the disciples? Oh, slow of heart to believe. Don't want him to say that to me. Oh, slow of heart. You notice it's not slow of mind. It's slow of heart. Everything God does is dealing with your heart. He doesn't deal with your mind. He doesn't like what goes on up there. He deals with your heart. So no matter how difficult your life is right now, he wants you to come to the place where you see yourself as the beloved of God because it is in that place that you will discover your truest identity and walk into your destiny. Everything he speaks to you is in the context of who you are as he sees you and who you are to him, his beloved. God never speaks to you outside of love and romance. He doesn't speak to your inadequacy or your inability. He doesn't see them. He speaks to what he sees from where he stands because he is confident in himself that he can bring you to the very place where he stands and he sees you. For some of us, taking that on board and running with it is going to require choices that will radically alter the course of our lives and we're defined spiritually by the choices we make. For some of us too, it'll mean changing the habits of a lifetime in the way we think about ourselves. We'll have a look more at that next time. But we can't keep making excuses for who we are and what we can't do. God doesn't speak to that. He speaks to what he sees, the person you are becoming. Not what you were before you were saved, 
So low self-esteem must go, insecurity must go, and vulnerability must take its place. When he met Gideon hiding in the wine press, the Lord didn't speak to Gideon's fear. He spoke to the man he saw. Hi, almighty man of valour, and Gideon's looking round to see who else is in the wine press with him. He does exactly the same with us. He will not converse with your low self-esteem. Why? Because he's sufficient for everything. Everything he asks you to do. Gideon was told to go in the strength he had. And he went and the Lord did the rest. We have to understand that we can't do what God asks us to do. In a million years we cannot do it. Only he can do it. If you can do it, there's none of God in it. God has placed you in Christ and that's how he sees you, accepted in the Beloved. So there's no room for low self-esteem, insecurity or self-worth. It's all self-indulgence. No room for it in that place. Doesn't compute with your DNA, beloved. If you will believe what he says about you and learn to run, this will indeed be the year of your rising as he calls you to rise up, my love, my fair one and come away.